This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 488. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I have with me today our illustrious president, Jacob Paulson. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, Riley. You're so welcome that you were invited. You know, uh, yeah, since, you know, you can't just pop on whenever you want anymore. I very rarely volunteer. <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a really funny awkward pause of sorts you're like how do i respond to this <laughs> <clears throat> hey guys uh so jacob and me here today we, we're going to talk about um i think an interesting topic we, we was kind of inspired by a recent uh training event actually jacob and i were privy to witness we'll break down what that was and and share with you lessons learned and tie in some lessons with some real life things that have uh, occurred and in fact that we've talked on the podcast in recent weeks uh, in fact so uh, but first you should know that today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by Mountain Man Medical mountainmanmedical.com is the place that you go to buy all those medical supply needs that you may have uh, trauma kits that's the specialty of course whether you need a tourniquet uh, a quick clot or, or other hemostatic agents uh, uh you know, compression bandages. We, we even have uh, chest decompression needles, which you got to be like a doctor or something to buy. So uh, heads up on that. But if you're yeah. a doctor listening or someone else that's authorized to buy such things, well, guess what? We even have that stuff now on mountainmanmedical.com. So the store is constantly expanding and growing. That is very true. And uh, earlier this week, you and I had an experience that we've had many many, many times. It always goes like this. You say, hey, this is one of our med kits. And you're talking to someone who's in the know. And they say, oh, cool. And you open it up and they look at everything in there and they say, what does that cost? And you say, it's X dollars. And they say, really? That happens all the time. And it yep. just happened to us on Monday afternoon again. So yep. yeah, best prices. That's right. Uh, we, we, we are proud of the fact that uh, Mountain Medical offers some of the best prices. In fact, we have a best price guarantee in the industry. So uh, guys, take us to the bank with that. Uh, if you can find trauma kits at any lower price than what we offer on mountmanmedical.com, then let us know because we'll they, match that price. They have price. to be comparable. They can't yeah. be like crappy junk, like the you know, com comparable quality and components. Well, that, that's the point, right? Yeah. Right. I just wanted to make, you know, let's add the disclaimer. So, <laughs> no, so well, Riley said. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have we had anybody able to actually take advantage of that? Yeah. I didn't think so because Zero. that's how aggressively priced our trauma kits are on mountmanmedical.com. Guys, uh, head on over there. Pick up a kit for your car. Pick up a kit for your your range bag. A kit for you know that go uh, bag that you might have with you as well. So uh, I've got my little kit that I keep with me on my backpack um, that has all the same stuff in it that comes in our standard. There you go, like the Yellowstone uh, trauma kit that Jacob's holding up there. So yeah, mountmanmedical.com. There's the uh, Wind River, mm -hmm. big boy, bigger anyway. That's the perfect kit for, I think, for a vehicle. Uh, it's a little bit more fleshed out than the Sweetwater and Yellowstone kits. Uh, a couple of tourniquets, you know, you never know. Um, I've, I've come up on a couple of really bad car accidents in my lifetime. And I feel so much better now knowing that I've got a Wind River kit with two cat tourniquets and plenty of other supplies to take care of those immediate needs that sometimes arise from uh, those kinds of those kinds of accidents and things. So, uh, our, our, we kind of have a secondary sponsor message, but it really ties in with our topic today. Uh, Monday, Jacob and I paid a visit to a local uh, law enforcement agency's training facility and a, a place I'm pr quite familiar with. Actually, I've spent 
weeks of my life there. <laughs> so, uh, sort of, I hadn't been there in a little while. So, uh, it was like going back home in a little way in a, in a sort you know, weird sort of way. But, um, they had some training going on that, uh, I've seen done there before. I didn't actually witness this specific variety of training that we saw on Monday. So that was kind of cool to see. But, um, one of the things that they are putting their trainees, their cadets, their, you know, these, these men and women that are, that are working to become the next line of law enforcement agents or law enforcement officers in that agency is, is that they're trying to inoculate them against stress and stressful events and certain situations. Uh, cause that's really important because if you haven't been exposed to events or stress like that, you don't really know how you're going to respond. And part of the reason why is when we are faced with really stressful circumstances, uh, it, it takes a moment for the brain to first of all, register what's going on and then start to put together a plan of how do I react to this? What do I do in this situation? The more life experience and the more direct experience we have with other stressful situations, the better our brain can recognize patterns in what we're experiencing in this new situation and go, ah, I've seen this before, or I've seen something like it. And I know what's going on. I, I, this isn't my first time I'm doing this sort of thing. And so you're much more able to quickly understand and read the situation for what it is, and then begin to act in an appropriate fashion. I mean, would you say that's kind of a, a reasonable uh, uh, summary of kind of what we, what we witnessed and, and what they were trying to achieve on Monday? Yeah. I, yes. I think that they, these people were primed. Like uh, they, th- this particular day of training was mostly medical related. They were going through a TCCC mm-hmm. uh, course. And so they were doing a variety of things and they came primed in their brain to say, okay, this, this thing I'm about to do has something to do with medical something because that's what I've been learning all day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that definitely played into the, to the kind of this cumulative, you know, event, this, 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 you know, they were going through multiple exercises, right? Like we knew that one of the things they were doing was responding to a call. So this is a simulated call where a man had had his hand, you know, cut off uh, somehow for whatever reason. And, and, you know, they they were doing a great job of setting this stuff up with actors that were doing a great job. You know, they were using fake blood and and staging everything to look as realistic as possible. And so you had these cadets first responding to a call about this injury. This man cut his hand off. And so they're dealing with that, right? I imagine they probably put on a tourniquet or you know, that kind of thing, right? Because, you know, cut off hand and he's bleeding pretty profusely sort of thing, right? But then they then had to run up a road, probably quarter mile. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Sure. Ish, maybe a little less, maybe, you know, yeah. but, but, but about that. Uh, certainly a few hundred yards. And then they get to what is uh, to a building that's used for uh, like workouts and training and particularly for defensive tactics. And this building was set up and staged uh, to be a whole other, like, this This is, like, totally unrelated from the first incident that they had just responded to. They're now arriving on scene, and they're briefed and told that this is a nightclub. You just arrived. You got a call to this nightclub, and there's a fellow officer inside there, and he's injured. You need to go in there, uh, you know, see what's going on, secure the scene, find your buddy, take care of him and also find the suspect too. And, and just take, you know, make sure that we take care of the scene and get everybody out safe sort of thing. Right. They were told that the last call on the radio was shots fired officer down and in the bathroom. They were told it was in a bathroom. Yep. Yep. So just kind of to paint the picture of, so you guys can kind of imagine what they were faced with when they, entered the door, the main doorway into this building is inside all the lights are totally off. And the only lights are like dance, you know, lights, uh, 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 you know, this is set up like a club. You got flashing lights and, 
and there was even like a laser machine, like shining laser beams everywhere, you know, and there was a fog machine that was this whole the whole interior of this building was just fog. It had to have been like 10 fog machines. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy thick or it had yeah. been running for 12 hours. Like it was, it was serious. That's a, that's a good fog machine. They, they got up there. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of the setting you go in. So loud music, really, really loud music. Uh, uh, all these lights, flashing lights, lasers, all this stuff, you know, that's pretty disorienting. And so the idea here, in case you're not picking up on it, is, and this is one of the things we do in law enforcement training. I've been there, done some of that stuff, where you're, you're, you're trying to hamper some of the senses. You're trying to get, like, so we're, you know, in a normal day, we, we have our sight and our smell and our taste and our hearing and touch and all that, right? Well, we're eliminating, we're, we're basically getting in the way of your ability to hear effectively with the loud music. The fog's making it so it's really hard to see that, that, that is further complicated with the flashing lights. So vision is impaired. Hearing is impaired. Um, smell is even impaired because all you can smell is the fog machine, you know, smell that if you, most of us have probably been there and smelled that. And so, you know, you're, you're relying a little bit on, a little bit of vision that you can see, you know, vision, visual information that you can uh, make out. Uh, and, and also even a little bit by feel somewhat like we, we, we went in there, we followed along behind the, the trainers and there's times I was like, Oh, I almost bumped into somebody, you know, I like kind of sensed them more than, you know, felt them rather than I actually saw them. So uh, anyway, that, that's kind of the sort of setting the, the scene, if you will, for this, uh, for this realistic, you know, event that they had staged. Because some munitions are involved, uh, mm-hmm. everyone's wearing masks as well. And so, you know, you might call that not realistic, but it does hamper, like your peripheral vision is greatly reduced. Um, you have to turn your head a lot more to be able to see. Uh, it also makes it harder to hear you know, hear things. It's just, it adds that much more uh, of a layer. And and I think one thing that's relevant to hampering your, your senses is that fog renders a flashlight significantly less helpful. And so that that's another, you know, thing you may not think about in, until you're in that environment. Yeah. Um, that, and that's true for sure. Um, we did see one cadet that used his light and I think was generally effective. I mean, he particularly used it in the bathroom as he shined it down on his partner and in that close proximity, I, yeah, absolutely. I think it was very useful. Uh, and I could tell it was a very, you know, it was a, it was a very bright light. It was a, it was a quality light. Uh, so it was push, it was cutting through that fog pretty good and he was in close proximity anyway. So, um, but yeah, we have to recognize that there may be, you know, I actually responded, you know, you know, I, I came upon an accident a few years back, um, that, uh, where, where a vehicle was catching on fire and there was all kinds of smoke because then the tires on the vehicle were catching on fire. You can imagine if that was nighttime and you got smoke drifting your way, uh, it would, it would create the same effect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, anyway, I don't know where, where do we go from here, Jacob. I'm kind of handing so, it off to you at this point. <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I, I don't know how much detail we need to get into. I think that there we want to focus on the takeaways from what we observed. Uh, but Riley, you and I saw two different recruits go through this scenario. Uh, you know, here's here's your simulation gun. The last call on the radio is officer down, shots fired in the bathroom. Good luck. And so, uh, I think you know. The, the first officer, the first recruit comes in, and I think that the, the training people were almost disappointed um, because this officer really performed quite well. He uh, you know, came into the bathroom. He's, what, what you see, what the officer, what the recruit sees when they walk into this bathroom, uh, once they get to the bathroom and deal with all this you know, loud music and all this other crap going on, is they see the officer there that's been shot in in uniform, right. Uh, you know, on the ground, leaning against a wall, yelling about their arm, saying things maybe like I've been shot in the arm, things like that. And then you see a, uh, a third party on the floor of the bathroom, not too far in front of you. And this, this person has been shot a couple of times as well. You know, there's clearly some bullet holes in the chest, blood's coming out, uh, et cetera. And in that moment, you know, you got to make some decisions about what you're going to do. And the first recruit, he immediately stepped over to the uh, the shooter, the, the non-officer combatant, right? Uh, 
and he, you know, had to had to figure it out. So he he whipped that dude over and put cuffs on him, and then uh, he he came over to the other the officer that had been shot, you know, pulled out a tourniquet. Uh, he had a training tourniquet. It was a cat. And he started feeding that thing up on that officer's arm. And the officer's doing it. He was a great actor because he was like, oh, that hurts. You know, I mean, just just really, you know, throwing a fuss about it. But he got that tourniquet on, uh, cranked it down, turned that windlass a few times. That was about the end of the scenario. Um, and it was almost disappointing. I was like, well, I don't, I can't believe we're well, stuck around to watch this. Rally. You know, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it, 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 if you're one of the instructors, if you're disappointed, it's because you do put in, put some effort into, like you want your students to be challenged, right? Right, and and so and you know that learning occurs when mistakes are made, and, and it's not that we don't want to necessarily set up like if we're talking about force on force, for instance, we don't want to set it up to like guarantee failure or to make things so difficult that it's unreasonable uh, or unreasonably hard, but you you want it to be, ch- and that's that's one of the tricks of you know, or, or one of the, I guess, uh, telltale sign of an experienced force on force. This wasn't tr- like a traditional force on force scenario because it was very, uh, it was a little bit more, again, focused on the medical aspect as well. But it's essentially what it was. And, 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 and we'd set up force on force scenarios the same way anyhow. So the, the mark of a, an experienced force on force instructor is someone that knows how to juggle and, and balance that that fine line of we want it to be challenging, but not ridiculously. So because, because the important thing is what the students get out of it, what they learn, uh, what they take away from that, that helps prepare them for the future. And it's, it doesn't help prepare them if it isn't realistic or realistic enough and doesn't prepare them. If it's so like ridiculously like a a clown show that, that, you know, that doesn't work either. And, And yes, exactly. If it's like a, uh, guaranteed failure uh then yeah like that what do you get out of that um you want the opportunity for them to be able to make decisions and choices and if they get the right ones that's great right um they get the wrong ones there's you know also things to be learned from that so anyway yeah first student uh, or first cadet did, did a great job went right in secured the bad guy uh uh recognized the scene for what it was Got his partner patched up all as well and exercise. So then on to the second one, to your point, we we weren't able to be there very long, but uh, we watched that one. And then you're like, well, let's just, let's just go. And I was like, well, maybe let's, let's, let's watch one more. So fast forward a couple of minutes and our next cadet shows up. Comes running up the road. Yep. Yep. So same same briefing. Here's your sim gun. You know, over the radio. The last thing you heard was shots fired. Officer down in the bathroom. And uh, so this this cadet walks in. Uh, same environment. Same drama. Pretty quickly gets to the bathroom. Same as same as the first uh, first recruit, and sees the same same scene, but takes very different action steps. So this recruit, their first inclination is to grab the officer who's down and drag them out of the bathroom into a safer environment. So, which is no easy task. This, this, this officer, the actor, he was big. Yeah. <laughs> he was a big boy. Um, so, so, so she, I mean, just tall, he, he was a tall guy and just, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a task, but man, they were on it. They grabbed him by the shoulders and were just pulling him out of the bathroom and out kind of into the you know dance floor, if I can use that for lack of a better word, uh, just just barely out of the bathroom far enough. And uh, and now they're like, okay, I got it. I got him here. Uh, I probably should patch up patch up his arm, right? So tourniquet comes out, and this is where it didn't go so awesome because about in that moment when we're we're deploying the tourniquet, the bad guy who previously was laying down uh, on the floor of the bathroom comes out of the bathroom gun in hand has decided that, you know, though they've been shot a few times, they are not out yet and they have more to do and more to say about these, these cops, you know, in this nightclub. So this is, this is one of those moments, right? Where you kind of have this, this sense that like, if I'm putting myself in that recruit's shoes in the brain, the sense is probably like, okay, I'm doing okay. I'm doing like, I'm being judged on this. I want to do my best. Like I'm trying to perform. 
And I think I'm doing okay. I got my tourniquet out. I'm going to patch up this dude's arm. But in that moment, this guy comes out and points a gun in your face. And it's just, it was like, like for me, it was like, I saw that recruit's brain turn into mashed potatoes. Oh yeah. It was, it was like done. Um, I, I would, I would almost argue really the mashed potatoes had already started, right? It, it had started, but in that, that moment it was like, we're done. We're toast. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no way at this point that they're going to make any sort of logical decision whatsoever. And, and it was, it was just like, Oh crap, you know, kind of thing. Now a detail we didn't mention is that the, these recruits were given a simunition gun, but they were only given two rounds in the magazine. They didn't know that. Uh, so but they were told they were given as many as they needed to solve the, the problem. Right. That's what they were told. So, Gun gets pointed, recruit decides, uh, you know, takes a, a second or two, several threats. Uh, the actor's trying to give her, give the, the recruit an opportunity, but eventually they do grab their gun and, and shots are exchanged, uh, but they only got two, two, gun, two shots. So the, the, the gun goes dry, right? Uh, lock back, slide lock back, and the BG does, does react appropriately and, you know, oh, yeah, I've been shot in the arm, you know, kind of thing, and, and uh does a good job as an actor at trying to you know, be realistic about where the shots, you know, impacted. These are simunition rounds. So you're feeling the shots, you know, where you're getting hit. And, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't just solve the problem. The bad guy is still an active threat. And we, over the next, I don't know, 30 to 60, 90 seconds, it just went from bad to worse. I mean, it, it, it the detail isn't that relevant. Needless to say, more shots were fired by the bad guy. And had it been realistic, the, both those cops were going to be done and toast. Uh, it would have been really, really bad. And and the whole time, this recruit was just trying, like, you could just see this, like, conflict in the brain. Like, wait, I'm trying to put on this tourniquet, but, but they're threatening me, but... Got, oh wait, but I'm out of ammo. Like it just it, the compute, the computing was not happening fast enough. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Um, actually, I do want to mention. You, you said you didn't want to necessarily get into the details, but I did want to mention one very almost like heartbreaking moment, which was again. So, so throughout all of this, this recruit, this cadet continued to be very task focused in, in, in that, no, I'm getting this tourniquet on this cop's arm. I'm patching him up. Nothing else in the world matters. Right. And at some point, the bad guy, after shooting the cadet, who's, you know, supposed to be saving the day multiple times, then goes up to the cop that's laying on the ground getting patched up and starts yelling that, hey, I'm going to shoot your partner here. I'm going to execute him here, right here, right now. Um, like, what are you going to do about it sort of thing? And the cadet just keeps working on getting this tourniquet on or whatever. And so, boom, sure enough, he executes this cop on the floor. This is this is eye-opening, okay? And well, here's, like, really the reason or one of the big reasons why we're talking about this here today is that you should all know that if you're not prepared for certain chaotic or stressful situations and, and the, and your brain doesn't know how to handle that, that, I mean, this is the classic going to black, you know, example, right? We were talking about the color, color code chart, you know, Jeff Cooper, whatever, uh, white, yellow, orange, red, um, you know, black. I think the original didn't have black, but black has been defined as this is where, you know, like white's the opposite of black. White is a person that's oblivious to the danger that's in their world. Black is very much aware a lot of times of the danger, but is so overwhelmed by the stress of, of the, the situation that they cease to function and make rational decisions. And that's what we witnessed here. And and it's it's good to recognize that both even as an observer, but also for yourself. If you've ever been through training like this or you ever experienced it for yourself, it's really good to recognize that and the sensation that is present um, as you're experiencing that. I experienced that the first critical incident that I had that I had to encounter as a relatively young man where a young girl was killed in a, in a, in a pretty terrible accident. 
I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know how to respond because I wasn't prepared for that moment. That was eye opening, and 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 it, it was it was sad for me, and it's still sad. For, like I still think back to that often because it was very impactful for me. But it did prepare me for future other events that I have been a part of because I recognized that kind of that freezing, if you will, you know, emotion. It's hard to describe. I can't even really articulate exactly how I felt in that moment, but I felt helpless and and confused and uh, a little bit overwhelmed. And I think that's kind of what this cadet was experiencing in that moment. So experiencing that and then being able to go, okay, I'm not going to let that happen again, right? Um, we have to keep rational thinking and, and decision-making occurring in the brain to get through these types of situations successfully. When that all goes out the window, then that's that's where you're going to be stuck like this person was. And this is a documented thing. The whole idea that you're so oversaturated by this stress that you tend to get stuck in this one thing that you're trying, like you, for whatever reason, mentally, you believe that if I just keep doing this thing that I'm doing, it's going to fix it. it This is not unlike a computer. This happens to computers and databases all the time, right? Where they get too many inquiries at once. Yep. So if you, if you ping a a hard drive, a computer's hard drive or a website's database, uh, just, with a bunch of inquiries all at once, it, it just, it gets stuck. It's like, wait a minute. Like I know that in theory I could process one thing and move on to the next thing, but a computer, it can't, it can't handle the overload. It's just like, whoa, I, I can, I can process, you know, two, three X, you know, things per, per second. But right now in my queue, I got 50,000 requests. I'm toast. Like I'm just stuck. I'm not doing anything. Even though I am capable of continuing and doing a few, a few things at a time. I'm just, I'm just stuck now. And the same thing happens to the brain. It's just there's so much input. There's so much going on at once that the brain just freezes. It's not that it's not capable of, of, of processing one thing at a time, then moving on to the next the next inquiry, the next input, right? Uh, it, but it, it just it can't. It just freezes. It's like, well, too much. Too yep. much. I'm done. Like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Yep. Like reboot it's like, now. It's like, a, it's like a brute force attack on a server. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you know? re- re- control. You have hackers it. just hitting that server so constantly so so many times every second that it's just like ah (laughs) and and that and like you basically have actual hacking attacks where people actually get beyond firewalls and things and actually are able to steal data but you have attacks that are really sometimes just there just because they want to take somebody offline yeah yeah i'll I'll give you a a couple of the thoughts i had that i think are important and and i know we're gonna get into some of the other details that was kind of the point of this exercise for those recruits i I remember the first time I I played paintball Mm. and this is uh, I would have been, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old, but I'll never forget the first time I played paintball because I couldn't breathe. My heart was pounding so hard and I was breathing so hard and running through trees and trying not to get shot and shoot other people that I just like, I, I I almost collapsed. Like I had to, I went down to a knee just trying to catch my breath. Um, It was the same kind of thing. I think that the, the big value here that we need to remember is that this isn't just about gunfights, right? Like that's the beautiful thing about stress inoculation is that there's there, you could be in any number of situations in life that are really high stress and anything you do in advance to inoculate yourself against uh, the anything, you know, the things that'll slow you down under stress, the better that will help you perform in any stressful situation, not just a gunfight. Right? So that's, the, that's kind of the beautiful thing about stress inoculation is that, Yes, the the more the more similar the patterns are and the inputs and the and the specific circumstances, the better you perform when you're faced with the same pattern, the same circumstances, the same input. But all stress inoculation is valuable for any stressful situation. And I think that we need to bear that in mind that you know, as concealed carriers, yes, we're unlikely to be in a gunfight, but we're probably pretty likely to find ourselves in stressful situations in life. And so anything we do to prepare ourselves to be better uh, apt to deal with those situations, the better that is all around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
One thing I want to just touch on, because it just kind of popped into my head as you were talking about that a little bit, is that uh, one thing that also helps us prepare for events like this is some of our other ancillary training, uh, meaning that, yes, force-on-force training itself or similar type of training is very, very good, very valuable because of the lessons that are learned and, and, the, and the exposures that we get uh, to to that, you know, that kind of stress and how we deal with it. Um, but we will go into situations in a lot better frame of mind when we are confident in our ability, in our ability to handle ourselves, uh, whatever is thrown, thrown our way. Sure. By that, I mean, like this, this is true about just about anything. Like if we're physically in, in good shape, uh, if our, Firearm skills are on point. If our defensive tactics, hand-to-hand combatives, you know, if, if we're really well-practiced in that and we're confident in our skills there, if we're rolling, you know, in the BJJ gym re- weekly, uh, that kind of thing. Like, if you have confidence in who you are and what you, like, you know what you can do as a person, then you tend to have a lot more confidence when you're faced with stressful situations because it's no longer... Like you're not sitting there wondering, can I handle this? Do I have the requisite skills to handle this situation? No, you just go, oh, ah, yeah, just this is the problem, and now I'm going to fix it. Um, and I, I wanted to throw out there that if we were actually comparing these two cadets that we've talked about so far uh, that went through this training the other day, uh, I was actually paying a little bit of attention to them as far as I was looking at their demeanor, I was looking at their their, you know, the way they were carrying themselves, their eyes, their face. And the first one seemed very calm, cool, and collected. He just patched a dude up that had his hand chopped off down the road, ran a quarter mile, get, you know, gets up there a little bit, you know, a little bit winded, but in short order was just kind of like, seemed pretty, pretty cool and calm. Like, yeah, all right, cool. All right. Put my, put my helmet on and there's my SIM gun. And all right, here we go. Like no big deal. The second cadet was a little there was just something there that i picked up on that they seemed to be a little less sure about themselves and i don't know why that is but there just seemed to be a little less confidence in what they were about to do even there was even they were briefed about what the situation was and then they were asked you understand and then they kind of like you know the first cadet was like yep got it cool let's go and the second one was kind of like um do you mind if I ask again? And, and it was just, there was just this, this sense of uncertainty um, with them. And so anxiety almost. Yeah. yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. And so um, those two observations, you know, as far as what their demeanor and their character was like in that moment, definitely showed through in how they handled the stressful situation. Um, I could have almost predicted it. And, uh, you know, maybe not so much the first one. I was actually pleasantly surprised he, he handled it so well. The second one, uh, I kind of was like, mm, this might be interesting because I just sensed that there was not as much uh, confidence going to that. So we, this is one of the reasons why we, we don't just talk about mind. Like we spend a lot of time on this show talking about shooting and guns and training and so forth. That's true. Uh, we don't want to overlook things like mindset and, and, um, emotional preparation and, and all, you know, and these other things that maybe we spend less time on, but it, everything is important that the shooting is important. Like that's why it is very critical to me to be as good a shooter as I can be, because I want to know and have confidence in my ability to perform. Should I need my gun? I also don't want to have to think about what I'm doing with that gun. I just want to be making decisions. I've talked about that so many times. This is where that starts to come into play because you see the flip side of someone that is where this is more of a mental and emotional challenge. But if they have the other skills backing that up, then the confidence will be there and the ability to keep your head on straight is going to be there along with that. I guess not to mention just that it will require less bandwidth to perform the task. Exactly. Right? If you've put on a tourniquet on a dude's arm 50 times, then the amount of bandwidth in your brain required to put that tourniquet on is greatly reduced. 
And it, you know, and it, it just happens pretty automatically. That's true. We talk a lot about a lot about that when it comes to shooting as well, right? So mm-hmm. that that gives you some sense. Yep. Um, Dave on YouTube says, I'm wondering how the second recruit would handle it on a second run and see what they had learned and adapted. Uh, obviously, we wouldn't want to run them through the exact same scenario because that would be kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, but if you were to do something similar a second time where the circumstances change a little bit, just enough to, to still challenge them. I, I do because I've seen it again and again in, in other uh, training I've done in the past that, yeah, that second recruit is going to be a little bit better prepared the next time they go through something like this again. That's the point, right? Yep. That's, that's why we do it. We want, we want them to find their limits and learn those lessons in that, in that environment where it's not really dangerous. No one's actually going to get hurt. Yeah. Yep. Now down to the meat and potatoes of like really what I, I know, Jacob, you came here to talk about here today. Um, and there was one, really big lesson that you took away. And that's kind of what the title of this episode is hinting at. You know, this was one common thing that is oftentimes overlooked by people, you know, good guys that have to use that are involved in a deadly force incident. Yeah. And I, I see Brian Eastridge is watching. He's the host of the off duty on duty podcast. And he would, he's going to find this comment interesting because I don't have a badge. I've never had a badge. I don't ever anticipate having a badge. I'm not ever going to and find myself in a police academy, I suspect. And so this is something that I just never really thought about to this degree until I witnessed this, this exercise. And that is the idea of securing the scene, which was the core of, like key factor in this particular scenario that was set up for these recruits. It really came down to if you walk into this bathroom and you secure the bad guy, you're going to succeed at this at this scenario. But if you fail to do so because that you know that person looks like they've been shot and they're not a danger and they're you know your 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 brain is already primed to be thinking about this is a medical exercise, so I got to focus on getting the tourniquet on this dude. If that's if that's what you're 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 do and you fail to first make your scene safe and secure, you're going to fail this exercise. And I, I was like, wait a minute, you know, I don't have a badge, but that that definitely has application beyond any attention I'd ever given it before uh, for me, just the armed citizen. Am I really thinking about and, and uh, have I given some training and practice to the idea that I need to secure my scene, whether it's before I involve myself initially or it's after I think the the incident may be over or partially over? Am I Do I really understand that to the degree that no doubt, logically so, uh, law enforcement would be uh, have that hammered into their head. Right. Yeah. Um, so recently Matthew and I actually, before I get into that, I was just thinking a moment ago about how this ca- this carries over into other disciplines. Mm-hmm. For instance, any, if you, any of you have been through medical training, stop to bleed, uh, CPR, first aid, AED, yeah. Um, uh, even in our free online course that's available on medical man, uh, mountainmanmedical.com, <laughs> mountain medical man. I like how that kind of sounds. It sounds horrible. <laughs> um, you know, even in that course, uh, one of the first things that's talked about is when you're responding to a situation, you have to make sure that first the scene is safe. Like that is emphasized many, many times over again that, you know, I'm coming up on an, on a scene, an accident, somebody's just had an accident, whatever it is. It's like, I'll tell you, okay. So actually a little personal, little personal side story here about that. Uh, I don't know if I even told this about that to you, Jacob or not, but, uh, and it's not a big deal, but um, a couple months ago I was driving home and just a block away or so from my house I was coming up the street and I saw a man on the ground and another person assisting him, and they were like trying to like get him up, getting get him upright, upright. And as I got closer, I could see the one man was bleeding. I was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" You know. And that thought actually went through my head, at least for a brief moment, because it was like I, I stopped, I pulled over my truck, put my hazard lights on, got out, and I was looking around like, "What is there something that caused this man's injury?" Right. Like, I don't want to walk in a situation where did he just get hit by a car? Did something strike him? Uh, 
you know, that kind of thing. Like first is the scene safe and is it secure? The second thought along with that, the way I positioned and parked my truck was also to provide him and, and those helping him cover to provide some protection as well. Um, because it was kind of in the street a little bit. And so, uh, it turns out it was an older man, probably 80 some odd years old. He was out for a stroll, does it on a daily basis. And he just lost his balance or stubbed his toe and down he went and he hit his head. He hit his head pretty good. His head, his elbow. I mean, he was bleeding pretty good from his head and from his, his arm both. Um, and we, we stuck him in my car and or in my truck and hauled him, hauled him home. Um, he refused medical assistance as far as like calling the ambulance or, or anything like that. Um, and after I looked over, looked him over, I, I didn't feel like there was anything super critical, although we got him home and encouraged his wife to take him to the hospital. Cause again, we were, he did have a, a pretty good bump, bump, bump on his head. Uh, so we want to get that checked out. I just didn't, there yeah. wasn't anything that was like, you know, emergency level. So, so point is like, you got to make sure the scene is safe first because you don't want to walk into something. And now you also become a victim as well. I think that's super valid. And I think you gave a good example, one where, you know, any of us might've done the same, right? Like, Oh, we see someone's hurt side of the road. I want to help out. want to do a favor. I think one of the reasons that there's such a big distinction on this topic for me versus law enforcement, because law enforcement is often by the duty of the job, walking into a scene, right? Like responding to an incident. Oh, crap happened. I got to go there now. And so, it, you know, it would make sense that the, that you know that it's got to be a critical component of the training to say when I show up, number one job is scene security, right? Like I got to lock this down because if I'm if I'm you know get to, if I'm doing this other thing and find out I didn't make this safe, then it's all for naught. Like we you know we all, we might none of us might make it home, and I've only made the situation worse. <clears throat> so I, that makes sense. Now myself, I'm not going to be responding. To scenes, right? Like I'm not going to show up and mm-hmm. be like, okay, like you called me, I'm here. Now I might like in the case of, like you said, like a medical emergency. Um, but, but, but that doesn't mean that it's not applicable. And I guess that's, that was the big insight for me as I went from thinking, well, I don't, I don't, you know, maybe that's not applicable to me, to me to be thinking, wait, wait a minute, but isn't it? Uh, I'll, I'll give you another one I was thinking of. Uh, this is one that I think we've mentioned before, because it's one that I often think about. And it's the Good Samaritan in the Las Vegas Walmart. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is many, I don't know, many moons ago, but uh, two active shooters come into a Walmart to start just shooting guns into the ceiling to make it clear like, hey, we're going to shoot people. I suggest you run. And they're not really uh, walking together. One, the, the, the husband is kind of leading the way and the wife has grabbed a cart and shoved all their guns and ammo in it. And they're headed back to the sporting goods section where they think it's a good place to make a, make a last stand. And... Um, the, a civilian who's probably trying to return something because that's what you do at Walmart. He he uh, he sees you know shots fired. He he doesn't see the the wife. He only sees the husband shooter. So he starts like following the husband through the Walmart, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know we're gonna we're gonna follow this guy. We're gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna ambush him and I'm gonna stop the the madness. And uh, his failure to notice the the female the 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 wife shooter cost him his life. She shot him in the back. <clears throat> so he put himself between the two shooters and it didn't end well. And I thought, okay, well, here's, here's an example where his failure to secure the scene, right? If, if, uh, uh, and maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but I think that the, that's the, that's the point here I'm trying to make is that in that moment, he had to say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm choosing to proactively do something to take action here. And he failed to exercise the caution necessary to allow himself to do what he wanted to do cost him his life. Yep. Yep. I'm reminded of also of two other recent incidents that we've covered on the podcast. Uh, just last week, Matthew and I did a justified saves episode. We featured a story out of Apple Valley, California, where a, a man uh, uh, was, he got into some kind of fight with his dad and stepmother and started stabbing them and either it started outside or they ended up outside the home uh, because other neighbors became aware of it and tried to intervene. And at one point due to some intervention from neighbors, this man broke off his attack. Um, but then he resumed it uh, a few minutes later and went back after a stepmom. And, and I, I believe it's, it's highly probable at least that 
it, it, the second attack on the st- on his stepmother is actually what killed her. Um, this man's father ended up surviving, but his stepmother did not. And uh, it, it took the intervention of a eighty some odd year old uh, neighbor that grabbed his gun and and shot. Uh, I think shot and killed the uh, um, the attacker here. And the point of that story is that you know you had an initial attack that wasn't was initially broken off, but then but the threat was still there. The threat resumed, you know, resumed the attack. He, and he was able to do more damage. Um, and you have 30 third parties involved neighbors and such that, uh, that, you know, we're trying to get involved and trying to stop this, but you got to keep in mind, like, Hey, like this guy could turn on me now. Am I prepared to handle that possibility? If I intervene in the situation, Backtrack to the the episode where we talked about and kind of analyzed uh, somewhat the the shooting that happened in Pennsylvania, where the neighbors fighting over the snow removal. Like you had the husband and wife that were pushing snow, I guess across the street or something, and tossing it in a neighbor's yard, and that neighbor was offended. Long history between them. There had been other disputes in the past, so this just was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, they, they, they kept escalating it. That was the first thing. Right. But, uh, and that, and we're not here to rehash that incident, but the neighbor, the neighbor across the street from this couple went back in, grabbed a handgun, came back and shot them. And then he disappears and you had neighbors in the interim come out and they're checking on the, on this husband and wife. Hey, you, are you okay? What happened? You know, so they're out there now. And then this man comes back with a rifle to finish these people off and fortunately and and you you do see like the one neighbor grabs the other person that was with him that there was there checking on these people and was like oh come on let's go he's coming back and they were very fortunate they were able to get away and and, and do so because it's you know who knows you this this is a guy that just murdered two people and committed suicide himself i mean what's two more people you know that he to shoot so um the point is, is we got to make sure that we recognize that there could still be danger present. We need to be looking for that danger. We need to be reading the situation as best we can. And a little bit of hesitation, at least to analyze the situation and confirm that it's it's safe enough for me to do whatever it is I've decided I'm going to do. Like that That's better than just jumping right in kind of blindly and then getting yourself hurt or killed yourself. Yeah. And I, I, to me, that's probably like the most uh, applicable part of this lesson for me is um, most likely if I'm involved in an incident, it won't be one that I see coming. It's going to be uh, an ambush or uh, an unexpected kind of thing. And so uh, when the initial dust settles, this, this serves to me as a lesson to, to stop and pause and say, don't, don't assume it's over. Like it's, I need to lock this down. I need to secure this scene. And that could mean a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That could mean just moving to a more fortified position. Uh, it could be retreat. Um, I remember an incident not too long ago, uh, a man and a woman involved in a violent attack while they're in their car and gun gunshots were exchanged both ways. And once the, the, sh- the shooting stopped, the first thing they did is, is drive away. They drove somewhere else and then they called the police. And that was a great way to, to, that was their best way to secure the scene, right? Like a complete retreat and get out of there, go somewhere we know we're safe before anything else. That was this, this logical thing for them, um, which, which mm-hmm. was good. I think that was, that was wise action that they took, right? Uh, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if there's an, you know, there might be multiple attackers. You, know, you, you gave two examples where it was um, the same attacker who had made an initial attack and then came back later with a secondary attack. It, it might be that I deal with the initial attacker, but then the buddy comes in, you know, walking through the house, has heard the shots and wants to know what's going on or whatever other thing. So it, I think that figuring out, you know, whether that's taking an exit, making a retreat, seeking a more fortified position, but not allowing ourselves to to believe that, you know, the dust is settled. We're good now. I can put away the gun. I can go work on so-and-so who might be injured. Uh, I can get out my phone and, you know, turn away and call 911 because, ah, dude's bleeding. He's probably, you know, not getting back up. 
uh, I think those are all the mistakes that can be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm glad you clarified some of that. Uh, Cause if you hadn't, I was going to, uh, meaning that securing, you know, securing the scene, quote unquote, uh, in a law enforcement context, it's like, okay, yeah, law enforcement's got to make sure threats eliminated uh, or, or stopped, you know, people are cuffed that need to be cuffed. Um, you know, so, so, so there's that piece and, and it's a very different world for law enforcement than it is for those in a more civilian context that you're not securing the scene as far as necessarily restraining people. You right. Know, I'm not trying to keep people. witnesses and preserve evidence. Exactly. Well, preserve. Okay. That's a, since you said it, preserving evidence, not a bad idea, but not as a primary objective, right? Correct. Correct. Once correct. the scene is secure. I mean, it, it's not a bad idea to like, make sure that, Hey, I just was involved in a situation and I want to make sure that certain things that help tell the story are present. Um, but, uh, but yeah, exactly. Your, your number one objective as, as a civilian self-defender is self-preservation. It, that's what it is. It's stop a threat or, or if you choose to stop a threat to save someone else, but either way from that point on, it's, I, I don't, whether that per, whether the, my adversary leaves the, the scene or the situation or whether I'm leaving, whatever, like getting away, getting back, creating distance, getting to a, a more fortified position, as you said, getting to cover, um, all that is all up, up for grabs. Um, you just care about making sure that the threat is no longer a threat to me or those that I care about and that we live to see another day. Right. So uh, that's what it comes down to. And, and we, you know, we this force on force scenario a couple of days ago, you and I had the pleasure of watching just kind of brought all this back, you know, just it, it, it made it very clear to us and kind of put it in the context of these other things that we've, uh, covered on the podcast and other stories and things in the past is like, this is, this is, it all ties in really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got to keep our priorities straight. Right. And, uh, you know, Brian, who's our director of training over Mount Med medical, he often says that the best medicine is a defensive fire. <laughs> you know, he's like, when you're, when it's care under fire, he's like the best thing you can do to save lives is return fire. Um, and it's this, it's the same principle illustrated in a different context. You know, in that case, yeah. primarily we're talking about a military context, right? Where yeah. we have a unit, we're on deployment, we take fire, well, someone gets hit. Like, let's let's not let's all stop and patch this dude up while we're still getting shot at, right? It, and so it's it's all about priorities, right? Like right. you got to keep your priorities straight. And we right. had one cadet that didn't keep priorities straight. Nope. And that's what cost them their life, most likely, and the life of of their partner on the ground. Um, it's all about priorities. Uh, you got to keep those things in check. Um, and I was just thinking too, that, um, oh shoot, I lost it. I had a thought there that was related, but, uh, oh, uh, I was thinking about the uh, incident here in Denver. We had a couple of Denver police officers involved in a shooting with a, with a, with a robbery suspect. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so two of them together, and they kind of had a little bit of cover, like there's like a corner that they were sort of able to hide behind a little bit. And the one officer throws a tourniquet on the other officer's leg because the one officer had been had been hitting his leg. And, uh, you know, in that moment, it's still kind of a hot situation. But I think, you know, in that moment, as I looked at it, and I think probably what was going through their minds was you had a reasonable position of cover. You had one officer still with the wounded officer in this case, still with gun trained um, at the suspect or in the direction of the suspect and the other officers behind cover behind the first officer. So it's like, Hey, you're bleeding. Okay. Here's a tourniquet. And it took them all of like 10 seconds tops to do, you know, and then he's back and ready, you know, ready for the, for the fight if there was more fight to, to take place. And so um, just kind of an interesting thing, like, you know, like depending on the situation that kind of, again, it's all about priorities. If, if you are under fire for whatever reason, but you have somebody that's still able to, um, you know, maintain that contact with that adversary party, then, you know, and you and that free somebody else to help somebody. Well, all right, cool. But chances are for most of us in civilian context, that, that sort of thing doesn't really happen. So we got to handle the, the immediate threat first, then worry about the bleeding out people next. Yep. 
Yep. Um, and someone here contact or commented that uh, keeping scene intact isn't a priority of EMS. That's true. And it shouldn't be a primary director for civilian. Also true. But in case it wasn't clear that if it's appropriate to do so, um, we do want to try to make sure that evidence is not disturbed. Uh, and, and, you know, particularly if, if that evidence is relevant to me, to my defense point, you know, making it clear that I, I was the good guy here, that kind of thing. It is a priority. It's just, it's not as high really a low on the list yeah. as these other things. Yes. Yeah. And that's the point in case that wasn't clear. So. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I think we covered that pretty well. I mean, any other thoughts, Jacob, as we start wrapping this up? Um, nope. I think that uh, just figuring out how to seek out that kind you know, g- get your opportunity to get those kind of, uh, you know, training, that kind of training done, you know, whether it's force and force or other uh, high stress situations, I think you need to just seek that out and figure out where and how you can get that kind of uh, opportunity. It may not be readily available. You might have to dig a little deeper, but those, those, those opportunities do exist. Those classes do exist. And you might figure out uh, things completely outside of the firearm space where you can uh, stress yourself a little bit. Um, something that's really available is just competitive shooting. I think you know if you wanted to go to you know sign up for and go go to a competitive shooting match, that create that there's a certain degree of stress to perform, especially if you're a very competitive person. Um, then then you have a certain degree of stress there because you want to perform well. So figuring out opportunities to uh, put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable and that push you to your limits uh, is going to be healthy and good. Yeah, it's really eye-opening when, you know, I had Matt Little on the podcast uh, not too long ago, where in that episode, he says that uh, competition shooting, you know, the stress associated with was stepping up at, to a stage that you're about to shoot and having to po- perform right there in that moment in front of everybody, like that that stress is far more stressful for him than any of the things that he did as a Chicago SWAT, Chicago SWAT police officer or as a green beret in Iraq or Afghanistan, like that's pretty eye opening. Like to put in that context of competition shooting is more stressful for him than those things. And now it could be unique to him, but I think there's also a point to be uh, realized there that, um, that we oftentimes think of deadly force incidents as being highly stressful. And they, and they are, that's no, there's no doubt about that. But as I look at it, Jacob, and I've had this conversation. In fact, I had this conversation with Matt as well as a, as a sidebar, just you know, individually. That I, I read some of the situations we come across as we are covering justified safe stories, and I some of those actually a lot of those incidents develop so suddenly. I don't think you even have the opportunity to be even realize recognizing there's any stress involved. It is something happens so suddenly you have to react instantly you know what i mean there's not even a there's not enough time even for adrenaline to kick in like people talk a lot of times about well i gotta you know induce adrenaline uh, artificially to make my training more realistic because that's what a, 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 a gunfight's going to be like well if your gunfight lasts three seconds there there's there's no time for adrenaline to even hit the system yet if that makes sense so the point being that um uh there's a lot of variance and degrees of severity, if you will, of stress in all kinds of situations. And stress is stress. Shooting competition, if that's stressful for you, like it is for like 99.9% of competitors, that's stress. And you're putting your, your, you're exposing your body to that and you're asking yourself to perform with that stress present. And it does help. I really truly believe that it does help. Uh, And it, for me, I view it as a, it tests me in my ability to run my gun. I'm not even trying to suggest that I'm somehow proven to handle myself in a gunfight, you know, with everything else that's involved with that, with, you know, tactics being a consideration and so forth. Um, not, not trying to suggest that at all. Just simply saying that I am highly tested as me, me personally to handle my firearm under stress because I do that all the time. And the more I do it, the better I get at it, which is why I keep doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, 
guys, we appreciate you for uh, being a part of this episode along with us here today. I hope you got something out of it, uh, some things to take away and think about and consider and and figure out how you're going to implement into your life and also your defensive plans. Um, today's episode, again, sponsored by Mountain Man Medical, mountainmanmedical.com. I uh, alluded to it, but if you go to mountainmanmedical.com, you'll see there is an option there to take our free uh, emergency trauma medicine course. I can't even remember what it's called now. The emergency stress trauma response, ETR. <laughs> the stress has gotten to me and I cannot speak anymore. Just kidding. Um, it's a great uh, training course put together by uh, by Brian, and I was I, I'm in there. I make an appearance. Uh, I take my shirt off. Everything you know, you got that'll really get some of you guys to to go watch it. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, also, guys, uh, secondary sponsor, if you will, is your local law enforcement agencies um, because of the uh, good work that they do. Um, and, and by and large, it is good work. I know there's it, there are numerous examples of less good things that sometimes police officers may do. Um, but by and large, and because most of it is unseen, the work that our, lo- our law enforcement agencies do is good work. Uh, most of them care about their job and about doing a good job and about truly making their communities better and safer places for everybody else. So uh, anyway, we've just a little shout out to uh, those uh, LEOs out there and appreciate you guys and for everything you do to make your scenes safe and taking care of people in the process. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Excellent. Thank you everybody. And we appreciate you being here. Yep. Take care. Have a great weekend. We'll be back here next week. So until then, Train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.